My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, it is my pleasure to welcome Anthony Levy, founder and chair of Circularity First, onto today's show. Uh, Anthony, very warm welcome to yourself and thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure, Scott. Thanks very much for having us on. It's my pleasure, Anthony. And uh, just to sort of expand upon your work for those listeners that might not be familiar with you, Circularity First, you're essentially focused on helping businesses and other organisations make their IT more sustainable through the circular economy. So what does that entail from uh, from your perspective? Thanks, Scott. And that's exactly right. I, I guess really as an organisation, we try and help people from the moment that they've decided they want to try and become more sustainable and to stay with them in a partnership all the way through to actually delivering practical outcomes. So, yeah, that might be delivering some kind of advisory services at the beginning, but right down to actually implementing networks and technologies in a more sustainable way. And you have been sort of involved in the IT industry directly or indirectly since your teens, haven't you? You were refreshing laptops at the age of uh, 14, um, I've heard. So did you say that, would you say that it was your calling really to sort of move into this industry and certainly look at how it can sort of become more sustainable? So you're right. You know, for, as, as a young man, you know, it was really more out of need than anything else, realizing that people were quite willing to throw or give away technology to build my own um, computer as a, as a young guy. And it certainly brought me into technology. Um, and I went on to study it. Uh, I've worked in big telcos. I've worked in smaller startups. Um, and I think increasingly, yeah, I, I grew an awareness of how wasteful technology can be, how we are a bit addicted to the latest and greatest. And we're always focused on just what we need. We're often drawn to what we want or perhaps even what the vendors are kind of trying to sell us that we might want. So when it comes to sort of being in the, um, let's say, the shoes of an entrepreneur who's thinking about sort of how they can sort of digitally scale up their business or the next advancements they can bring in, do you think it's fair to say that perhaps they shouldn't necessarily be considering sort of the latest technologies and maybe more how they could upgrade the infrastructure that they already have? Would that be more sustainable? Uh, That certainly would be more sustainable. I I, I think, you know, it's a little hard to know in every scenario because everyone's got different kind of needs and requirements, but there's certainly some really simple things you can do to think about whether it's using the technology you already have for longer, or if you do need um, new capability or new capacity, is how do you add that um, through remanufactured or refurbished um, solutions? And of course, also what you do towards the end of life when you no longer need something, how do you make sure it gets used again? And when we think about sort of IT and sustainability, there are two things that one might think don't necessarily go together, but the opposite is in fact true. So what would you say actually sustainable IT is and why is it so important in uh, in industry today? Well, that's, a, that's a great question. So I think probably it's important to start with understanding what impacts IT does have specifically. You know, I think there's quite a lot of coverage about why we need to do something in general. Uh, we talk about the climate crisis. We talk about how extreme weather is going to have a huge impact to our lives, whether here perhaps with things like flooding, but in other countries and fires and droughts. Um, I think what we start to see in IT, what's become quite tangible even in recent years is the effects on supply chains. So in IT, most people, if you've been waiting for some technology uh, in recent years even, you've been worrying about the, the supply chain of semiconductors. Um, and, and of course, that was caused by kind of a lot of the COVID situation, 
but actually it's a precursor of exactly what we're going to see as we start to run out of resources. And, and actually IT in particular uses a lot of very rare metals and minerals. So, you know, what we're going to see increasingly is that there's, there's going to be more and more competition for, for those. And actually, ultimately, they, as they start to run out, which is a reality we're not really aware of, but it's coming, mm. um, it's, it's going to start to limit our ambition as a society. We won't going to be able to evolve at the same kind of pace as we want to. Um, and at the extreme end, you know, we, we, we start to find kind of wars creep up around these resources. Um, and unfortunately, there's a human cost to that, um, even before we, the climate really takes over and starts to do that. But your, your question about IT itself very specifically, you know, a lot of what the focus is around climate change is in carbon. Mm. So let's make it really real in carbon terms. So ICT today is already somewhere between 2 and 4% of the total emissions we're creating as a species. Um, and as a, as a benchmark, that's more than aviation. So we talk about we should fly less. I think most people conceptually think, oh, yeah, I should be thinking about flying less. You know, in France, they're banning short-haul flights. There's a general understanding that we need to do something about it. So ICT is already significant in terms of its emissions. But actually what's worse than that is how fast it's growing. Mm. So ICT is forecasted to be up to 14% by 2040. So it's one of the fastest growing emission streams. So think about that. At 14%, it'll be creating more emissions than cement and steel even combined. So the carbon element's massive. Um, I mentioned the, the resource challenge. So there's only a limited amount of the resources we need for technology. That would be bad on its own, not, be, you know, not having enough resources. Mm. But the big other thing we have to do um, to prevent uh, the climate crisis or, 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 or limit the impact there is actually to do the energy transition. Um, and the same shopping list of, of materials you need for IT is exactly the same shopping list of materials we're going to need to complete this energy transition. So what are we going to do? Not not have IT or not do the energy transition? So we've got a real sort of collision course coming there around resources if we're not smarter about how we use technology. Technology is massively wasteful. Um, so I'd also talk about e-waste. I mean, uh, electronic waste is forecasted to be about 75 million tons by the end of 2030. That's not long. Um, and, uh, and it's very poisonous e-waste. It's not easy to, to recycle. Um, so much of technology is, is composites and compounds. So things that are already fused and blended together, making it extremely difficult to pull back apart again. So, you know, I guess, um, in essence, you know, IT already has a big impact. Um, and we use technology for a very short space of time and then we throw it away. So it's this, this take, make and waste cycle that's particularly bad in technology is one of the reasons why it's one of the more polluting of the industries that, that's growing so fast. And why do you think that there's less focus almost on sort of technology and IT as opposed to other industries like aviation? It seems that we hear a lot about sort of aviation construction, those sorts of sectors that are polluting agriculture as well. But why not tech? Why is that sort of getting less of the headlines, do you feel? Great question. I, I think there's a few reasons. I think partially we see technology as an expression is normally the answer to the problems that we're facing. And mm. um, I think we, we always lean into science and technology. That's who will save us. And, and of course, technology does have a massive role to, to help us become more sustainable, but we can't let it cause carnage in its wake. Um, and, and that, I think there, again, there is this also this underlying 
sort of excitement about the newest and latest and greatest technology. And we assume perhaps just the energy efficiency of the next one will counterbalance any of the other impacts. So I think there's a lot of learning that needs to be done. And I think as a society, we're starting to, to think more carefully and more critically about the impacts of IT. But you're right, it's, it's at its early stage. Exactly right. And we hear a lot, don't we, about how technology is going to be critical to the uh, the net zero transition and understandably so. But when we sort of um, look at this from the perspective that, you know, we're in the backdrop of uh, the COP27 climate summit and the theme behind that was all about sort of implementation, turning pledges of countries into sort of plans and real action. Um, if we can address what's going on in IT and uh, sort of the wastage in the industry, given obviously how it's projected to grow and what the percentage um, sort of towards overall emissions already is, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that if we get the IT industry right, it could be part of a huge solution to the climate emergency, couldn't it? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. COP27 is really supposed to be about this. Let's stop talking about it. Let's start implementing. Let We have to take action now. I think there's very little doubt that, that if we don't act very urgently and very significantly, we're going to find ourselves in a really difficult um, situation. I often refer to what Simon Sinek says, it's not about saving the planet, it's about saving ourselves. You know, we're, the, the environment's so critical. But from a, from a practical point of view, you know, if you want to look at things you can actually do mm. to, to, to implement change and, and that, that don't have to have a negative aspect. So uh, we touched on it earlier, but like, you, you know, extending the life of technology, whether that's upgrading, repairing, or putting in maintenance programs that allow you to use it, probably even beyond what the, the original vendor said its lifespan would be, is probably one of the most impactful things you can do. You know, we, we did a massive project for the, the, the UK Ministry of Defence um, on the Queen Elizabeth aircraft carrier. They, they were just coming up to sea trials, and they were in a situation where, on paper, the, the platform had gone end of sale. You weren't supposed to be able to buy more parts. You weren't supposed to be able to continue to use that platform. Now, you might imagine this is a pretty major situation for the, the Ministry of Defence to be in. We're about to launch this ship that's supposed to protect our shores. So yeah, we were able to help them through detailed analysis and, and a whole load of kind of work behind the scenes and, and actually finding technology for them to extend the life of that platform for another three years. Now, just doing that one extension of life prevented all of that, the technology that's already implemented becoming waste. It ensured that that platform could continue to scale and be used in the way it was designed. It saved a huge amount of money, but more than any of that, it provided exactly the resilience that the Ministry of Defense needed. So it was exactly the, right, the same platform. We provided technology that had the same warranties, the same guarantees, the same reliability as new technology, but just allowed them to use that platform for longer. And that, you know, the massive carbon and um, savings um, in implementing that kind of project. And that's an important anecdote as well, because when we think about the circular economy and how we can make IT more sustainable as a subject, when sort of you are a business leader and you're going and reading into it, it can appear very, very complex. And it's important, therefore, to be able to kind of almost decode that into practical steps that businesses can go and take to make themselves more sustainable. So if I am a business leader and I want to think about sort of my CSR and making the business more sustainable in its operations, what can I do? What practical steps can I take to sort of get started on that journey? Right. So, you know, I'll illustrate the, the extension of life. But I mean, one of the ones that we've really delivered week in, week out, it's one of the most demanding environments, um, is, is, is the utilization of non-new technology. 
So adopting remanufactured as opposed to brand new technology means you don't have to make any sacrifices. We're not suggesting people go and use old technology that's not fit for purpose. We would typically help customers specify exactly what it is that they need, but instead of buying it all brand new, seeing how much of that could be available through remanufactured technology. You know, we have large telecommunications companies that every day we're supplying them with as much remanufactured technology as possible. And we've done the the math behind this. So we've actually got an independent environmental consultancy to evaluate how different is a new device versus a, a remanufactured one from a carbon point of view, from a materials point of view. And you can save up to 90% of the carbon um, embodied in a device by taking a remanufactured one, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. You're not having to extract all those materials. You're not actually having to fully manufacture it. You're just remanufacturing it. So, you know, one network switch, one box that you might plug your laptops into or your wireless devices into has um, two tons of carbon embedded, embodied in it. Two tons. I mean, that's the same as running one household for an entire year from an electricity point of view. So by making these simple decisions to use remanufactured versus new can have a very material um, impact in reducing your footprint and you know, typically coming with cost savings and other benefits as well. Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask actually as well because um, the, uh, the benefits in terms of cutting down on embedded carbon are there for all to see, aren't they? And businesses are going to be limiting the impact that they have on the planet by looking into this. But is this obviously returning as well for them that, uh, that commercial benefit? So when you think about remanufactured materials and sort of extending the life of what you've already got, surely it's cheaper than just going and buying new, isn't it? It is considerably less. Um, yeah, we would typically save customers around 15 to 20% if we were implementing remanufactured technology rather than brand new. Um, and I, I do want to re-emphasize this is this is equipment that comes directly from the, the, the manufacturers themselves. They're the one that's done the remanufacturing process. Um, you know, same warranty, same guarantees as, as I mentioned. But um, one of the things we often see is people have this um, initial feeling, initial emotional response to something that, you know, when they talk about technology that's non-new, like, oh, oh well, no, we only ever use brand new technology in, in, in our business. And I sometimes gently point out, well, we're all quite comfortable, you know, putting our family in in, in a non-new car. Um, you know, we're driving down the motorway at 70 miles an hour. We'll trust the things that we care about the very most in something that, you know, has been checked over, that does have a warranty, that, you know, is is fit for purpose, but maybe it's not brand new. And I think we sometimes set down that kind of common sense when we go into the, the boardroom and we think, no, no. We, we need the very best. We need brand new when, when arguably it's uh, certainly not best in all, all scenarios. And it's an interesting attitude, isn't it? Because I think you're very right. I mean, we may trust uh, sort of driving ourselves and our families around in an old car, but we may feel we need the best and the quickest laptops and computers in an office building. Um, why is it that you think that we sort of have that mentality? I think it's a slightly unique thing around the word technology. You know, I think, mm. you know, there's a lot tied into our feelings of performance and reliability. And, and, and you know, I think that we've just got ourselves in the habit of, 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 of and we've set kind of processes in play, like that lots of companies still replace their laptops every two years. Now, a, a, a modern laptop, you know, you, you can easily upgrade memory and, 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 and hard disks and things like that to, to keep a laptop running four, six, maybe even more years. And, and so I think sometimes we've got to stop and rather than do what we've always done, actually challenge ourselves a little bit and saying, is, does that process still need to, to play it like that? Things have changed, you know, and, and, and can we trust 
different methods of getting to the same result. I think that's a really important thing for business leaders to truly consider. And we've talked about as well the embedded carbon that's in sort of the the journey of a uh, of a piece of technology. We've talked certainly a lot about that in terms of materials and how they're sourced. But for those that are tuning into this that may not be fully aware of the extent to which carbon is embedded in some of these products, where else does it feed into the overall sort of supply chain process and where can business leaders look to really cut down on that, do you feel? Scott, you make a, a critical point. You know, when, this is the, this is probably the one of the biggest takeaways. Is you, we've got to start thinking about technology through its whole life cycle, mm. not just the device we have in our hand and think about, oh well, is it you know energy efficient and and not oh well, I just need to take care of it. Maybe we just need to recycle it at the end when we're away. So we've got to move up that supply chain. So you know, at the very beginning, we have to talk about extraction. And if you remember earlier, I talked about how, how, how rare some of the metals and minerals are in the devices mm. that we use, whether that's our phones or laptops or networking or data center equipment. And, and when I say rare, what you need to think about is the rarer it is, the more land you have to dig up to get it. The more energy, the more forest you need to clear, the more water is involved in the process, essentially the less efficient it is to get it out of the ground, the rarer the material. Right, so just visualize for one phone clearing maybe a few hectares of land of its of the trees, which are our natural buffer mm. for CO2, clearing those, you know, churning up that soil, firing chemicals and water at it to try and get these little little pieces of the, the metal, the mineral that we need to build that device. None of that water can be used again. A lot of that soil will be destroyed, and, and that's just done. So we've got these little metals and materials, and then we need to refine them, then we need to ship them to where the tiny little semiconductors or components are created, and then they'll be put together into some part of the device and they're shipped again to create the actual end device, which is then possibly flown around the world to get some sort of delivery center, which then gets delivered to you. So that whole journey just for a phone or a laptop or something is massively intensive um, and really quite wasteful, especially if like two years later, you're just, you just, throwing it in the bin and moving on to the next one. It is indeed. It is incredibly wasteful. And you've recently done um, sort of a full life cycle analysis of technology as well, haven't you? And I'm sure that you've come up with some some incredible findings on that. And um, something else as well that sort of strikes me is that you've mentioned that some of these materials are eventually going to be in short supply and maybe even run out in years to come so when it comes to sort of making the industry more sustainable it's not just about sort of thinking about how you source your materials it's actually going and having to find new alternatives for these sort of devices and how you're going to source them how are they going to feed into the uh, into the circular economy as well yeah i think something that we haven't really bumped into yet as a species is complete limitations on certain resources. Like we've had the absolute luxury of having a planet that's super rich with metals, minerals, fuels, and all of that. And, and, and we're just starting to get this awareness of, of, uh, of that, that there are limits there. And I think the weird thing is that, yeah, we, we've had this amazing evolution very quick. People talk about the accelerating journey of how fast technology and everything has changed and how it's driving us forward. It's going to be a really interesting, how are we going to respond as a society when that, ability to evolve and adapt and innovate starts tailing off, not because we lack the ingenuity, but because we lack the resources to do it. Um, Candidly, that's not a very comfortable place for me to think and talk about because it's not 
in our psyche. Well, we're moving forward, right? Society's moving forward. Things are going to get better. Everything's going to be okay. Exactly right. I mean, we have to think about progress all of the time. And I guess as well, when we're thinking about moving forwards and we're in the midst of a very well-documented energy crisis, I guess something else that needs to be considered, and you've talked about this as well, is that collision course between sort of IT and energy. And um, if we do prioritise the IT and the technology that is going to sort of hasten the energy transition, I mean, you've got to think about how we're actually going to get the energy in order to actually power the IT. So that's something else that we really need to think about very carefully. Definitely. And then we've got to be, we've got to be careful about the, the, the kind of what we perceive as perhaps the quick wins. So, you know, data centers are probably out of all of ICT coming under quite a lot of scrutiny around their energy use, their water use. Um, and a lot of data has been very quick to, to, to adopt um, green energy, which sounds amazing, right? I mean, it sounds great. So you're switching over. But because they're not efficient, because they haven't actually started with trying to be as efficient as possible, actually, they're just consuming a lot of the green energy that could be used elsewhere. So there is a limited capacity of green energy. Therefore, we find ourselves in a difficult situation where you might find these data centers and the companies that own them have a lot of money and they can afford to pay really high prices for green energy, actually making green energy unattainable for a lot of other industries that might really need it. You know, I, I'm quite fond of talking about... Um, other industries that, 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 that kind of we can make comparisons to. So we talk a lot about zero emissions cars. Mm. I'll try and hold back the skepticism in my voice, but there is no such thing as a zero emission car, particularly um, in, in certain countries where coal is still used an awful lot. So you've got a lot of you know, cars used in certain countries that really actually are powered by coal. Um, so not only is there a lot of embedded carbon in the manufacturing process of, a, of an electric car, actually even the fuel they're using, whilst it might go in as electricity, it was created by coal. So energy use is absolutely right at the heart of this. It will be in the heart of every industry. And as we go through this transition, we have to be not just go for those quick wins. We have to be smart about being as efficient in all areas to make the very best of any kind of energy we can source. We have to think in the long run, don't we? And uh, the, what you just mentioned there about the electric car is a great example. It's um, it's about how that energy is sourced in order to power the car. And then fundamentally, what's the car made out of? What's the battery made out of? I'm guessing it's going to be one of those rare earth materials that we've already talked about. And again, we really need to uh, to look and review that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think it's, but we don't all have the luxury of being able to spend all our days thinking about this. And um, what we do need to do is, build a community where we share this knowledge and that, that that we can get to a point where we believe the science is right. So these are good decisions. So we can help people understand what is a good decision versus a not so good decision. And we need to share that and make it really transparent for people. I think, you know, there should be a healthy level of skepticism in all things. Um, but we, we really ultimately got to trust science. And that's, you know, going back to your previous point, you know, why, why we've engaged with, with, with third party environmental consultants to do some of that science on our behalf. So it's not just us, sort of reinforcing what we believe is true. We're, we're trying to make sure we do all of this through scientific process. Exactly right. And just sort of backing it up with the science is going to be important, isn't it? Sort of help businesses sort of reinvent their IT strategies to make them more resilient, more cost effective and ultimately better for the planet as well. And I think as we start to see things moving forward and as we say, we do start to see those resources running down, resilience is going to be absolutely critical, isn't it? And uh, you're going yeah. to play a key part in sort of helping businesses prepare for that. 100%, 100%. And I think, um, you know, as leaders, if I can sort of zoom back out to the kind of leadership part of this, like, mm. you know, 
it's another, it, it can't just be a sort of side decision. It can't be, oh, well, we'll also try and be sustainable. Okay. We'll carry on driving our business in the way we've always driven it, but we'll just try and be a little bit more sustainable. Um, it's got to be meaningful. It's got, really got to be tied into the overall business strategy. I think you know, leaders have got to start thinking about, you know, when we talk about the goals that we're seeing ourselves being you know, net zero or carbon neutral, whatever the goal is by a certain date, that, that can't be an add-on goal. It has to be integrated into the overall strategy and therefore it has to touch everything in the organization. There has to be cultural change to adopt it and work towards it in a really consistent and thoughtful way. It certainly does. And um, obviously when we think about implementing this to the best possible effect, um, some of them, do you think that some business leaders may be afraid of the greenwashing tag and they may be sort of a little bit reluctant to share what they're doing because they're afraid of criticism because obviously no business is going to be absolutely 100% perfect in what it's doing. There will always be holes, but I suppose trying to do that little bit of good and sort of broadcasting that is still a very good thing. Yeah, and, and look, I think, well, two things. One, firstly, yes, they should be careful of greenwashing. There's plenty of people greenwashing out there. They've also got to be careful themselves that they don't present things that are not well thought through, that aren't properly aligned to their strategy. I think, you know, it always starts with setting goals. You know, it's a, it's a set an ambitious goal, but be be transparent about it. Say, look, we don't know what we all the areas we've got to cover here, but this is our goal. And 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 work to make sure that you've got a really thought out strategy to, to achieve it. Um some things will work, some things won't. Some things will have an impact, some things won't have such a big impact. But I think most customers, employees, um, even the government, I think is it, it's a lot of this is talked in the aspirational way. Um, we have to start moving. We have to hold ourselves accountable in detail and in science. But I don't think people are going to get shot for, for really trying if they genuinely put the commitment in it's baked into strategy there's investment they're trying to make things happen i think what people don't want to see is is just marketing they're mm. just 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 painting green lipstick on this pig and, and and trying to say it's fine you know and and pretending things or just selling something is sustainable when really it's no different than what you had before and you haven't meaningfully made a difference so i think the, i think generally society is quite forgiving if you're open and transparent and, 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 and your meaning to do to, to do well. But yeah, people should be careful. People should, shouldn't they? And uh, there's another thing as well, I think, that uh, because more businesses are becoming aware of the need for sustainability, its commercial benefits, as well as how important it is for the planet, and we've seen a real shift in that, and also sort of com- consumer spending choices as well. If you're a business leader and you're not indicating that your business has this very much at the forefront of what it's doing you are going to lose out in the commercial sense because people will not want to do business with you. I think the pressure is building really consistency across all stakeholder groups. So as I said, whether it's your customers starting to vote with their wallets, whether it's your, your, your ability to attract and retain the best talent, um, you know, whether it's even your shareholders and the, the decisions that they want you to make, if those pressures weren't enough for for a leader, you know, government's going to wade in, you know, really soon and really significantly. You can already see the the biggest companies having to disclose their carbon. You know, there's we know carbon taxes on the horizon. Um, you know, in Denmark, for example, carbon taxes is has been sort of they've already penciled in what the value will be. It's around one hundred and fifty nine dollars a ton. Let me join that back up to what I said. One network switch is two tons of carbon. Mm. So essentially, that's another three hundred and Fifty or sixty dollars um, of, um, of of tax just on uh, one switch. 
so you know, th- th- there's there's massive compelling reasons to go on this journey um, to, 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 to get it right. There are exactly. And I suppose that in the immediate aftermath of this discussion that we're having, so let's maybe say looking ahead over the uh, the next 12 months, I guess that your immediate priority is going to be helping businesses sort of go on that journey and really make that transition. And if we were to sort of set, say, a milestone of a year from now, ideally, what are you hoping to have achieved by that, Anthony, just before we, we wrap things up? So for us, as I said, the, the, the key bit, we're trying to build all the tools and all the practical solutions to actually help people go on this journey. But I think most people are still at that stage of probably setting the goal and starting to 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 identify that strategy. So for me, su- success for us, and I'll talk about the success of individuals, success for us would be yeah, helping um, you know, a large number of customers start that journey, help them map it out. That's what we do. We're into advise. We're not trying to come in and do it all for you. We'll come in and transition that knowledge and help you devise the plan that really winds it into the core of your business to help people start that journey. So for us, it's probably about starting journeys in the next year. I think that's probably the most important thing. But I think making this very personal to me, I think you know, setting goals as a leader are, are, are very important. And, and you and it's, it's hard sometimes to make sure you've been as thoughtful about them as you can. When mm. I started this business, my goal was to start a business, get it off the ground. And, and then obviously that quickly evolved into making sure that it kept running and it, and it was going well. And, and at some point I thought, well, what's next? And instinctively you might lean towards what is their financial goals. Do you want it to turn over a certain amount of money or make a certain amount of profit? But for me personally, those goals weren't very sustaining. They didn't really give me a lot back. And it was really only when I kind of understood what I wanted the business to be was to make a difference, to actually have a positive impact on the world, that actually I felt that my my own ambitions and feelings were more aligned to where the business was going. And I know that may not be true for everyone, but I think getting your business aligned to your own principles and, 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 and driving a purpose from business isn't just good for yourself and your feelings of your own self-worth. It really helps the whole culture of the business because People aren't just turning up to work for the paycheck. You know, people are actually feeling there's things they can talk to their children about or their friends about, and they can feel proud to work in an organization that's actually making a meaningful difference here. So there's a multitude of layers here of actually going on this journey that can make a real difference. Exactly right. And when you talk about sort of the fact that employees are sort of uh, very much bought into the process as well, it just shows how purpose-driven and the why behind doing everything it's so 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 important today isn't it and it's not just in terms of you know the, the consumers that you're thinking about it's also the people who work for you as well because people are a lot more aware of purpose now and uh, if you know you're not making that very very clear what the mission is and giving people that sense of fulfillment ultimately i suppose you're going to lose out in the recruitment and retention sense as well i mean it's well documented the war on talent right if you want the best people it's not just about paying a high salary. It's not about just the other benefits that you might offer. Yeah, people want to find it easy to get up in the morning. They want to have a reason to, to, to get up. They want to feel like they are contributing something much greater than, 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 than what's just, just in front of them. And, and, and certainly for me, I'm very candid. After 14 years of running this business, it's what still gives me energy now. You know, and I know at any point it was wavering. It's because I was worrying about the wrong thing. You know, sure, you... We want a business to grow. We want to make money. Those, oh yeah, we're a for-profit, but for good business. That that that's all important. But actually, when you start to measure what you're doing in terms of impact, it's a very different feeling, you know. And and, and having your kids tell you they're proud of you for what you do, um, 
is, is quite special. It absolutely is. And it's leaves plenty of food for thought for any business leaders or budding entrepreneurs that may be tuning into this particular program. And uh, if anybody is particularly, you know, impassioned by the issues that we have discussed today and you want to either leave a question or a comment with us, then you can do that via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. Anything, of course, um, addressed uh, for Anthony's attention will forward directly onto him. And um, if you do want to bring your own perspective directly to the discussion table on this or any other topical matter or issue that you may be passionate about just remind you as well that you also can apply to be on our show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and for now it's been an immense pleasure welcoming founder and chair of circularity first anthony levy to talk about all things sustainable it on the show and uh, it'd be good to catch up in the show in future anthony and just see exactly what direction the industry is heading in and also sort of how you've been helping businesses sort of redesign their it strategies to make it really really work for them and indeed for the uh, for the planet as well. I'd be delighted with that, Scott. And maybe we can bring some real practical case studies to the table to, to talk through so people can think about how that might relate to their own organisation and, and maybe they can take some ideas from that. Yeah, fantastic. I'm sure there'll be an opportunity to talk about all of those things. Um, but in the meantime, everybody, thank you again for tuning into today's episode of the Leaders Council podcast. And I do hope that you thoroughly enjoyed the interview. I've been your host, as always, on today's show, Scott Chaloner. And until next time, when we're back with a whole new perspective on leadership and current affairs, please do take care all and goodbye.